Ramble. Welcome to Curious with Josh Peck. Start the show. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Curious Podcast. My name is Josh Peck, and I'm your host, and your name is Listener, and that's what you do. You listen, and isn't that excellent? Um, I don't have much to say today. I was going to do a whole fucking rant about the Oscars, but, like, who cares, right? I don't. The only one who wins in the Oscars are the people that produce it. That's my opinion, and that's what I think. I just don't believe in, like, art contests or, like, creative competition. It's not sports. It's not, like, a clear statistic or score or standing because what you like, I'm allowed to not like and vice versa. So who wins here, right? Maybe you fucking love Green Book. I didn't even see it. I didn't see A Star is Born because I'm pretty sure I won't like it. But does that change the fact that you loved it and went through like a box of Kleenex and a half watching it and that you left the theater going like, I didn't know Lady Gaga could do that. She is such a well-rounded performer. She's so multi-talented. I don't want to ruin that for you just because I'm like, meh, 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 take it or leave it. No, thanks. Seems contrived. Emotionally manipulative. That's what I think, but who cares what I think? Because you enjoyed it. Does that mean that it should be a, you know, a, a winner of something? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. There's no real answer. And then, inevitably, these award shows, you know, they get political, which I find is like a mistake. Because... You know, and listen, I'm left-leaning, I'm a fucking lib. But I think that, like, people in the middle of America or, like, people who are not in Hollywood watch what they look at as, like, limousine liberals screaming at them about the current political um, climate. And they feel like, shut up and just play Spider-Man. Shut up and act. We didn't ask for your opinion. I just... Yeah, I'm conflicted about the whole thing because while I agree with most of it and while I understand like people's desire in which to get their point across on this massive stage, I find it ineffective and actually hurts us more in the long run because I don't think it's endearing anyone new to our side. I think in fact, it's just polarizing us more and making the people that watch the award show feel as though there's them and then there's us. They're on their island spouting, you know, their diatribe at us. And here we are just, you know, trying to get by and find a little escapism through art. Can I just enjoy the movie and not know that you fucking back Bernie? Can I? (laughs) I don't know. It's a very conflicted thing and I don't have a good answer for it. I just don't know how many people were endearing with that methodology with that strategy but who knows meanwhile i don't think the oscars should ever have a fucking host i just think the whole thing just hummed along i didn't need chris rock to check in every 20 minutes to be like hey guys how's the show i didn't need jimmy kimmel to be like whoa wacky do hey here comes a gummy bear train coming down the aisle because i know you uh, skinny sad actors are starving 
I know you haven't eaten in weeks to get in your gown, so enjoy some grilled cheese. There's a grilled cheese truck outside, everyone. I, nobody needs that. And uh, I'm a big fan of Jimmy Kimmel's. I'm just talking about hosting in general. Here I go. I said I wasn't going to talk about it, and I talked about it. I'm sorry. Um, today's guest, Jeff Garland, comedian, actor, funny dude, uh, interesting dude, multifaceted, complex guy, interesting conversation. Enjoy it. Here's Jeff. Grandma's balls. I like feeling grandma's balls. Ooh. It's a new theme for your show. That's beautiful. Yeah. I can cut that into a theme song like Garage Band in yeah. seconds. Seconds, yeah. Um, thank you for doing this. My pleasure. Oh my gosh. I, so I wanted to start well, first with... First off, what's the name of your show? Uh, it's called Curious. Curious. So by the way, you're a curious fella. Indeed I am. Yeah, that would make sense. Curiosity yeah. is delightful. Right? You know what it helps with? Hmm. Boredom. Yes. If you're curious, a lot of times it's impossible to be bored. Right. Yeah. Do you combat boredom? You seem like a man of hobbies and very... Well, I, I, I rarely find myself bored. Do you know what I do find myself sometimes is restless mm. and I have anxiety, but I don't find myself bored. I can always find something to do of interest, but I do get restless where almost nothing brings me joy. Right. You know, but that I'm mostly joyful. So on occasion... I'm restless. It all go, you know, it's, it's, it's part of the festival. Is the poison in the dose in that respect? Because that restlessness probably makes you so productive and ambitious. No, it doesn't. It, it does the opposite. I want to take a nap when I'm restless. Yeah. It, I want to go off. to sleep. I want to, yes, because nothing that's movement. And like, I have lots of books. I love reading. I have record albums. I have guitars. I have my photography and I have my stand up. I mean, Holy crap, I have so much, but yet when I'm restless, none of those will fill any sort of void. Do you think it's your body doing like a manual reset and saying like, you are so busy that we're going to take over right now no. and insist no. you shut because, it down? Because I'm really, I'm a big napper mm. and I love shutting down. So I don't have a problem with that. Daily? I nap every day. Yes. How long? When we're done, I'll nap. You know... Depending on how much sleep I got, if I got eight to nine hours, I'll take a nap for a half hour. If I got less, I just close my eyes until I meditate, though. So I usually start meditating and I fall asleep. And how long have you been meditating? For about five years or so, six years. Yeah. And tell me about it. Transcendental meditation. So you got to pay for it. I paid for it initially. <laughs> right. My teacher was a very old woman, very old, in her 90s. She since passed away. Her name was Nancy Cook Herrera. And she taught me how to meditate, and it's joyful. And it gave you... what? So transcendental, they when give I'm, you the when mantra. When I'm meditating, my anxiety goes down. It's twice a day for 20 minutes, and... It's simple, and I know it's called transcendental meditation. We're like, is that a religion? What is it? No, it's no religion, and it's just calming and delightful. And you can look it up online and all that stuff. It's, and they you, gave you a mantra. They gave me. I have a mantra. Yes, I do. 
And what is that? Because I meditate, but not transcendental. So for you, does it, you just start repeating it in your head until it becomes... And that, until, see, that's the thing. It's not like it doesn't become anything. Mm. You just repeat it, but your mind floats away to problems you're having. Your My mind floats away to something funny I'll think of. But whenever I notice that my mind has floated away, I come back to my mantra. Right. That's all. It's simple. You know, it, for me, I, and I don't have a great meditation practice, but I'm, I'm, it's a practice, so I'm working pra- on it. By the way, life's a practice, man. Yes. I'm practicing to be a great man. I'm 56. I'm on my way. And uh, what's interesting to me about that is the idea of being unreactive to my emotions and feelings. Because for so long, I would either, you know, vacillate between feelings of like total overwhelming joy and excitement and then just depravity, Uh, you know, immense fear or discomfort with what's to come or what I did. Right. And so for me, the meditation part is saying like, listen, these feelings are slightly human to a certain extent. They will reveal themselves over time no matter what. But can I be unreactive to them when they show up? Well, because my reaction to them for years was to eat. Sure. That was my addiction. Still is my addiction. But I realize now that feelings and anxieties are all temporary. Yes. They're going to leave and they're going to come back. And they're going to leave and they're going to come back. You hope they leave for a significant amount of time and they don't come back too often. And But they're going to be there. And that's part of the, it's not a roller coaster life. I hope nobody's experiencing a roller coaster, but it is ups and downs. Right. Yeah. Well, there's a great quote and I'm going to butcher it, but it's, I think it might be roomy perhaps, uh-huh. but it's something to the extent of like, we choose neither to despair or rejoice. We right. just sort of stay in the middle and people take issue with that and they go fuck that like i want to be living in those highs and lows but for a guy like me i don't i can still thoroughly enjoy life and yet not have those swings yeah the swings are are one thing the the key is for me is to find joy Mm. and joy doesn't have to be an extreme it's just joyful. It's like, how wonderful is this? Just realizing, like when I'm on the set of Curb Your Enthusiasm, Larry David and I will talk about how joyful it is, what we're doing, how yes. great it is, how hard we're laughing, how much fun we're having. We'll just, we'll just take note of it. But it doesn't have to be where I'm driving home going, hey, man, I worked on Curb. It's so great. You know what I mean? It's like, no, 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 no. Just joy. Just joy. Just joy. Um, Which, by the way, I am appreciative, and I do get excited, but it's more of an internal excitement than an external one. I, I have some friends, and, and I'm a sober guy, so over like the years, I've, I've looked up to so many older guys in sobriety who had a lot of time, and they would talk about finding the pleasure in the inconvenience. Like, well, that's delightful. Yeah, I mean, if it's possible. Like, if it's possible. I get a flat tire. It's hard for me to see the silver lining, but... But also... I think it's easy to not see the dark side of that. Like, what next? Right. How much? Oh, my. Do you know what I mean? It's just sort of like, well, I got a flat tire. That happens to people. I had a flat tire uh, a few months ago. I've had two flat tires in the past year. It just happens, man. I didn't get angry. Yeah. You know, and that's the key. It's like, if you can find some sort of joy, but I think the joy is more in the reflection of like, look what happened from that. But I don't know that I can find much joy when my tire goes down, but I don't find a lot of agony. It's funny. The other day I was at my mom's apartment building and there was a woman who was 
complaining, screaming out about someone being parked in her spot and was just viciously cursing and to like, took it to a place that I know that in, in another life I'm capable of, even in this life, if untreated, right. just with such vitriol. And so, and I'm like, I just wanted to be like, who didn't hug you? Well, it's 12? not even, it's not even a step of who didn't hug you. It's what's going on. Yeah. Because this isn't about your parking space. Yes. This is about something else. Something from yesterday, the day before, something from your childhood, sure. But it's not even a matter of, like, if I ever got a chance to interview Trump, Mm. I would ask him, did your dad ever hug you and tell you everything's going to be okay? Did your dad ever tell you that you're a good guy just as you are? I'd be curious to hear his answers. Do you think he's even capable of that much self-reflection? I don't know. I wonder if he would just say, I don't want to of judge course, him. I had the best uh, dad. It's, just, it's too easy. Yeah, he could say, I had the best dad. I would say, really? Did your dad hug you and kiss you and tell you everything's going to be all right? And if he says, I had the best dad, I go, you're not answering the question. Oh, well. You, you know what I mean? It's yeah. Like, so I'm just saying, but I don't want to prejudge the dude. Sure. I don't want to prejudge him now when he makes these things of how he got to be where he is. Um, but... A lot of times when he writes a tweet, it's not about who and what he's writing about. It's about something else. I don't know what that is. I think the one thing we could say is he's very reactionary. Very much so. He's very reactive. Which is what uh, some would say to what you're talking about before with the meditation of all is to not be reactionary. Well, you want to be able to... Look, I used to be ignorant enough to think I could control my ego. Mm. I'm not control... That I could eliminate ego. I've realized that I can recognize it and tell it that it's not necessary. Sure. That I've learned to do. You know, and motivations. Why am I doing that? Oh, it's ego. Or I get offered something. Is this good for you? Do you really want to do this? Why would you choose to do this? And quite often it's ego, and I say no when it's an ego choice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so I think a lot of it is ego and impulsivity and uh, reactionary, you know. But I don't want to judge the dude. I don't. Believe it or not, even when he's at his worst, I have empathy for him. I don't feel bad for him. I mean, I do. He must be in a lot of pain like when he's laying in bed at night. I'm just thinking by himself. I think so. I, I wonder. I'm sure he's in pain considering how nice Mar-a-Lago is and that he's got to do eight, you know, four or possibly eight years and slumming it at the White House. But I also, I wonder, you know, with people specifically like that, and it's not a prejudgment to him more so, it's just people with this personality disorder. Yes. The people that have thorough, like thoroughly suffer from narcissism or uh, borderline personality, right. histrionic, there's an inability in which to see oneself. So everyone around well, them suffers. Awareness is one of the keys to success. Being sure. a successful person. And a Not overthinking. Yes, thank you. Not overthinking about yourself, but just being self-aware, knowing, oh, I hurt you. Oh, what's going on with you? My behavior is this. My behavior is that. Why did I choose this? Why am I choosing this? Being in the moment with yourself, being self-aware. One of the most delightful things you can do for yourself. So, first of all, you look great. And thank so you. I feel like this question will lead into... Uh, the answer to another question I have, but 
how did all that where did all this come from this work that you've done on yourself physically but also all this inner work well the done? inner work it's all a lifetime of work i've been in therapy i've meditated i have wise friends i have a lot of older friends i have some younger people that teach me stuff i have a lot of younger friends but some that actually teach me things i learn from people around me i learned something from everyone and in terms of me physically it's not joyful to be fat. I remember seeing a friend of mine, a picture of him on Instagram on vacation, and he was laying in this pond, and I thought, look how comfortable he is. I've never felt that way. So that really was a big thing of like, I never felt that way. So what I've done for the most part, I don't want to say I'm perfect. I really don't eat sugar, and I try to avoid wheat, and I try to avoid dairy. You know, I've had a slice of pizza, sure, but I really try and avoid that. And those three things combined with exercise, there's no dieting. I don't diet. And the weight comes off me. No dieting. Dieting is kind of crazy. It's like, I think that dieting is, we're, how can we not fail at dieting? We're asking our minds and our bodies to do things that are not normal whereas eating stuff that our body body reacts positively to and eating quantities that make us feel good i'm talking about physically as opposed to eating for emotion uh, i lose the weight i feel great and i know at some point my weight will level off it's good I too, you know, I have friends who, and I've been able, I started losing weight around 17 to 19 and I took off about a hundred pounds and have been able for the most part to keep it off right. over the last 11 years. And for me, similar to what you're saying is that it had to be moderation in all things, even dieting. And so I, well, by the way, you look at AA or OA, it's living a sane lifestyle being sane. Like for example, I don't eat sugar, but do I use ketchup? Oh, you bet I use ketchup. Is there corn syrup and ketchup? Yeah. I didn't become the way I am from putting a little ketchup on something. Sure. So that's sanity. Insane is every little nuance and micromanaging your life and the amount of calories. And all, which, by the way, some people dig doing that. But most of us are not wired to do that. Right. Um, and for me, this is my addiction. Like, for example, I keep an eye on other things. Uh, what I mean by that is, for example, I, I recently, I'm 56, at around 50 or 51, I started smoking pot. Mm. Um, I had, you know, I had trouble sleeping. I did The View, Whoopi Goldberg turned me on to it, Indica. And it's been nothing but delightful and helpful to me. And also in my recovery from... Uh, physical exercise, especially at my age. And I don't, I mean, I smoke it uh, like a hybrid thing sometimes. What's for it joy. called? Give me the name of the pot you're smoking. Oh, you know, I, it, uh, is it called dementia? Or? No, I'm not smoking. <laughs> I'm not smoking. <laughs> if you tell me a name, I go, yeah. Snoopy's armpit? No. no, none of that stuff. Is it OG Kush? OG Kush I have smoked before. Okay. But the point being is, even when I smoke it just for enjoyment, like I'm listening to music, hanging with some friends, um, it's not something I need to do or think about doing when I'm not doing it. Well, that's Whereas when I was eating, when I was eating poorly, I would dream about when my next meal is, and I still have nightmares that I've eaten poorly, 
sure. wake up from them, which the same way an alcoholic or a drug addict might. So I know that I'm not addicted to marijuana. I mean, I, I'll go uh, two, three weeks without smoking it, and then one night I need it as a medicine for my body, you know? But uh, so I keep an eye on those things. I have an occasional beer. Milkshakes were my thing, man, not beer. Oh, I get that. Um, wine. Uh, I started to, I had an office at one time above a French restaurant, and the sommelier, how do I say that? Uh, the sommelier. Sommelier would give me wine to taste every day, and I began looking forward to that, so I stopped. Wow. So now I only have wine maybe once a year at like a meal or something, but I don't do anything in that because I recognize that it was beginning to be something that I could see going down a path that wouldn't be good for me. Well, it's funny, and I, I so know that feeling because I've obviously wrestled with food, and then later on it was drugs and alcohol, and yet I can smoke a cigarette. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, you want to talk about, like, a, a devilish uh, a temptation or, or right. an obsession like cigarettes. It's as bad as heroin for right. most people. And yet, and people, it boggles the mind. But for some reason, cigarettes or gambling or but spending by the way, hasn't taken gambling a hold has of never me. interest me and no when interest. i've done it it's not, it's not been a thing maybe so, but that's we're thing. Jews. but that's the point yeah <laughs> but that's the point we're all wired differently so to tell people to follow a certain diet and eat, follow these kinds we're all different man some people thrive in that area other people do not you got to find out what works for you and then follow it have you unpacked the food stuff from a young age? Like, where did you first see it? Oh, it started itself? at a very young age. In very what young. ways? I would eat. I, rem I remember, as a matter of fact, specifically, I remember eating too much life cereal. Like, I couldn't get enough. Or my mom would make me a milkshake with my peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and I'd ask for another milkshake. Did she? Uh, did she show love through food, like most Jewish mothers? Yes and no, meaning she would say you already had one, you know, and then if I pushed, she might do a second one. She would not do a third one, you know what I mean? Because right. I've seen, but, but but rarely even the second one. So I don't blame her for no, 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 not I, even to blame. Yes, of course, there's love and food, but um, that no, this was this was something I was wired with. I have this not not liking to feel anything, good or bad. Mm. I went to food. And so now that I've learned that the feeling is temporary, even if it's for a few hours, I got to hang with it. It's funny. I have uh, this older woman, Rufie, who's 93 years old, who's known me since I was born and been this incredible, you know, one of my mom's best friends and person in my life. And the one great thing she'll say is about me growing up is she'll say, your mother was always feeding you. <laughs> she would, and, you know, my mom has had, wrestled with this stuff in her life. But obviously, of course, no blame. But I do see that food had value at well, a young age. You know, it was celebratory. And the first thing she wanted me to do was sit me down in her kitchen and feed me. Of course. Yeah, it's just that's just sort of, uh, yeah, Italians and Jews, we got it bad. Is it a famine mentality because they were in shtetls where they didn't no, have the food? I, I actually have not researched it in terms of, I mean, that certainly is a logical thing, but I think it's so emotional. I don't know because I, I know my grandmother wasn't in a shtetl. <laughs> yeah, you know sure. I mean? And she was naturally that, but she got it from her mother. I don't know. I, you know, it's interesting because I remember as far back as I can remember having a, a, 
a complex relationship with food. And this goes back to like six, seven, eight, where, cause we didn't have sweets in the house. Right. So when I would discover it at friends' houses, yeah. you could rely on old Joshy being, going through someone's fucking cupboards. By the way, old <laughs> Jeffy too. Right? Maybe I'll call myself old Joshy from now on. But like I showed you, I saw I got a gift bag from something and there was a, um, it's laying on the table here somewhere, some Pop-Tarts. Devil tarts. Yeah. Yeah. Which I... I used to eat them raw because I didn't have time to Come on. toast them to shove down my feelings. I had to shove down my feelings right away the, with the, them raw. Then you got to wait for them to cool off. It's yeah, a bad yeah. deal. Yeah, it's a bad deal. It wasn't too much of a rush. But point being is the idea, and they've been here for like two weeks. Let's just throw them away. I was going to give them to someone. Um, but the idea that Pop-Tarts have lived in my house for a couple weeks, nuts. Yes. Without me eating them. And without me even having the temptation to eat them. Because I just don't do it. Did you have, because I remember early on, I remember feeling this deeply was a sense of shame where as soon as, you know, it's like, because I was kind of, somewhat of a normal kid. Right. And then all of a sudden, much in, the, you know, the Harry Potter getting, you know, you have the sorting hat. Right. And it was like at nine or 10, I was sorted into the chubby. Uh-huh. Like I was the chubby kid of the group and I was the one, and it's interesting and it's, it's changed somewhat, but like in the nineties when I grew up, like there was no, um, refrain from someone being like, you eat too much or he's chubby. He's overweight. Like it was very much a part to of the me, conversation. The fat only had came up in conversation because I was a football player. So the fat only came up in conversation with girls and it was mostly self-inflicted. If I had the confidence I had now and the self-love I have now, uh, that wouldn't have been a problem for me because girls liked me. But I was so self-destructive in my behavior in terms of eating. I was so fat and I felt so bad about myself that there really wasn't a shot for me. I mean, I had my share of girlfriends, but not the way, you know what I mean? Oh, I know what you mean. Yeah. So. I, I'll never forget being 15 years old. And this girl liked me. She liked good old JP at 260 pounds, 5'6". Right. And I remember, and we went to the same acting class together. It's a tale as old as time. And she would have her mom drive us home from class. And one day she said, well, (laughs) she walked me to my door. And, And so she walks me to my apartment door on the third floor. And I remember standing there looking at her and her looking at me and her being like, kiss me, dummy. And she didn't say that, but that was the moment. And I just was so terrified and full of discomfort and insecurity that discomfort, I said. Discomfort? Were you able to kiss her? No. I said, thank you for the walk up. <laughs> I Did retreated like to my room. More? Until it didn't. And then right, she turned on me. By the way, that's the thing. It's like when people reject what you have to offer, at first it makes them more attractive because it's like, over, like, wait, what's going on here? But then ultimately it gets to the point where you're like, eh, Excuse my language. Fuck this. Right. Yeah. Ah, so many oh, moments. So sad. It's okay. You've made up for it. You're expecting a kid. I'm expecting a kid. You've got a wife you dig, I take it. Oh, yeah. She's a dream. Does she know you have a sweet face? I think. Uh, maybe. Does. You does she too. she a sweet face? Oh, yeah. Beauty. Yeah, She's a gem. I'm go. really lucky. You are. But you deserve it. And you earned it. Thanks. You did. Are you into football at all? Like, I'm very into much into football. Tomorrow night I have my fantasy draft. Okay. Yeah. My wife's father's name is Ken O'Brien. He was a quarterback yeah, Ken for the Jets. Ken O'Brien from New York Jets. Uh-huh. Yeah, 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 I remember him. Yeah, for like your, 10 years. Your father-in-law is Ken O'Brien? <laughs> yes. What does he do now? He works in finance, and he coached at USC for a while. Right, and he went to USC, right? No, he went to Davis. Davis, mm-hmm. okay, UC Davis. Yes. Yeah, okay, I remember that. Boy, he was, 
I'm trying to think if there was a another quarterback besides him in the post-Joe Namath era that got as much hype and people were as excited about. I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah. He's and for me, it's fascinating being part of this like athletic family and right. how different. Is your wife I am. a good athlete? Yeah, volleyball player. They've got those genes. They're yeah. blessed. Yeah. Like there are. Do you have this? Because sometimes my wife and God bless her. Everyone goes through it, no matter how you look. But if she's lamenting about like maybe not feeling the most trim one day or someone in her family, I just want to say, oh, you have no idea. Yeah. You don't know no, what you it, don't do that right. because then that's. Uh, about ego and reflecting on yourself what she's going through. Sure. By the way, I'm only talking about it now because it's something that I've been dealing with. In what way? Yeah, I have a conversation with somebody. They tell me about something, and I immediately go to my experience in that area mm. as opposed to just listening right. and just being present. So what she's feeling is not, oh, you have no idea. You have no, you have an idea, and you keep that to yourself unless she looks at you and goes, what did you go through? Because otherwise, you're, you're minimizing what she's going through. That's a good point. I'm just learning this, man. Thank you. Just learning it. And I didn't even learn it through therapy. I learned it through a friend. But then ultimately therapy because I discussed it. And then ultimately from my childhood. Are it was you, a learned behavior. Are you a once-a-weeker with therapy? Always. Tomorrow is a Thursday. It's everything. Yeah, I have a great therapist. How I mean, long? There, I've been going to him for about five, six years, and then I've had numerous great therapists before him. He's the best I've ever had, but yeah. What do your sessions look like? They look like? What yeah. do you mean? Like, I'm assuming it's not I like traditional couch, analysis. We discuss, well, we, 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 we talk about life, but we talk about big themes with my little things. Hmm. We talk about the universe, my experience in the universe with the universe. It's very enlightened stuff. It, it reflects on me as a human being and it reflects on me as a comedian. So it's important stuff. So when a friend tells me a story and I start talking about my experience in what story she's telling... Um, and then being self-aware, I'm like, oh, she kind of tuned out. And then I say to her, hey, was my saying that, was that not good? And she said it was very uncomfortable. It was because it was. Not, no, not in a horrible way that she's going to run. Um, and then I, then I think about it. I, I, I lament it maybe. But I go to therapy. I discuss it. And then I come with how it happened and what I can do. To avoid that. That's what I was saying with you and your wife and saying, you have no idea. Well, you have no idea what she's feeling, no matter what so she true. looks like. I know, but God, those genes. I mean, there is a part of me with this kid on the way praying that this child gets the O'Brien oh, genes. Please stop. stop. I am, physically? Don't do that. Don't of do course. That. Don't do that. It'll get a chair of both. Just shut up. <laughs> it'll, it'll be balanced? Sort of, I don't you care know, if like, the kid is thin like that, and funny. This boy, my boy who's visiting us right now, Duke, looks just like uh, my wife, Marla. Svelte. And beautiful. He's, very svelte. he's a beautiful boy. Uh, but he is exactly like me. I mean, he's his, own, he's his own self. But emotionally, we're very similar. But he looks like my wife. My other boy looks just like me, is emotionally very similar to my wife. Interesting. Yeah. All right. 
Well, if physically they're like her and emotionally like me, ah, I don't even want them to be emotionally like me. Well, by the way, yes, you do. Don't be, don't be, uh, maybe don't be, uh, because you can help guide them through that or her through that. That's true. Do you know if it's a boy or a girl? We're not going to find out. Uh, by the way, it's so funny. A friend of mine today, uh, same thing. Uh, he is finding out through a blood test now, I guess. Mm. Uh, but I said it was kind of joyous not finding out. So, so you didn't find out. I did not. My first one. My second one, which was this fella, I did know. So I had two boys. But it was really fun in the room. Like when the kid came out, I was only thinking I have a kid. And then they went, meet your son. And I'm like, oh, I have a son. You know, wow. it was really wild. I, I just say for me, it worked. I recommend it for you too. Can I get some more advice with the uh, I don't know any kid on the way. Here's what I do now: be loving, be kind, be self-loving, and when your child gets old enough to really have their own way about them, maybe the end of junior high school, high school, give them respect, like immense respect. I gave my boys, I still do, immense respect, and by giving them respect. They want to respect me by being the best they can. Hmm. So I don't tell them what to do. I tell them what's going on and ask them what they think. And then it turns to a discussion. Because there's a a thing when I remember when I was a kid, don't trust anyone over 30. And the reason being is because older people tell you what to do as opposed to ask you what you think you ought to be doing. And that's what I like to do. The dignity of their own experience. The dignity of their own experience, most definitely. And what about the first, I hear like when the first kid comes in the first six months is just a complete and utter Stop upheaval. listening to anyone telling you that. Yeah? Stop listening to anything. Seems you to be what nothing. everyone's saying. No, here's what everyone, here's what everyone should be saying. Uh, go have a good time. This is an amazing thing for you. Congratulations. Yeah. They shouldn't tell you how it's going to be. You don't know. You don't know who your child is going to be and how he's going to act, how he's going to rest, who he's going to look like. Uh, colicky not colicky you don't know anything and they especially don't know anything and you'll be the one going through it and just adapt to it and just be your loving self and you'll be good how did you balance because for people like us who don't have traditional hours how did you balance work and being a dad i didn't do a good job of it in what ways meaning i was stressed in both situations i'd be at filming something or doing stand-up and a lot of stuff with my family would come up in terms of need me for this this and I can't focus and then vice versa I'd be at home and focused on something with work I had moments in both work and my family where I was in the moment but that comes with time and learning now I think I'm pretty great at being in the moment you know, but I'm for, well, either way, my kids are 18 and 22. Uh, by the way, I was always loving to them and always, I like to think a good father, but me, I look and I go, I uh, could have been a better father. Not going to say I should have. I could have if I knew more than I knew, but I didn't. There's no way to There's know no that. Way. That's exactly right. Yeah. Could you have, cause for me and I find I'm trying to adapt my thinking and learn a new way now with not only find va- finding value in work and that, a, a wonderful. Well, that's why there's a few things with work. Number one, I just met with somebody. We're going to develop a TV show together that I'm very excited about. But and you're I, on two TV shows. Another I, one. Well, I didn't develop these. Okay. I, did develop, I had a lot to do with the origin of Curb Your Enthusiasm based on my idea but, you know, it's Larry David, who's a genius, who 
made it everything it is. Um, I'm so lucky to work with him. Um, I'm grateful to work with him. Yeah. And, uh, and I love, he's a great pal. Um, but this is Larry's vision and it's Adam Goldberg's vision on the Goldbergs. I like doing my own stuff and I'm creating a show. I've got three shows I'm developing. No kidding. And by the way, ironically, none of them for me to star in. Um, like yeah, as that a director and a producer, um, I have a show that I have on Netflix. I did one TV movie called Handsome. It's on Netflix. It's the first Netflix mystery movie. I may end up doing more of those. I don't know. I've got other movies. I'm making a movie this summer about a bank heist. Um, so, but my point was, oh, uh, work, getting satisfaction and having it mean something. So when I met with this woman about doing this show, it was about this will mean it's a lot about her and her experiences based on it. So it's going to mean something to both of us as we develop it together. And it'll be satisfying the more successful it becomes. When you, like I met also with a friend who was telling me about a couple of movies, movie ideas he had. And what if I told you they were great ideas, but he had no emotional connection. Oh, sorry. No worries. He had no, is it still plugged in? Yeah. yeah. He had no emotional connection to either of the movies he's developing. But they're good ideas, and I think they could be successful. But I think work is better when you have a deep connection to it. I have no connection to the Goldbergs except for a sense of pride, a sense of gratefulness that I work with great writers, great actors, great crew, and that people really dig the show. So I'm full of gratefulness with Curb. I mean, with the, the Goldbergs, not my show. Curb Your Enthusiasm has become something different every year and evolved. And it's not exactly my groove anymore, but spending the days with Larry David, improvising, doing this, great joy both bring me great joy and i'm grateful for both of them but they're not mine how is it being a- it's not an ego thing by the way because i told you i investigate sure. for having my own but it's just a, an emotional connection i don't have an emotional connection to curb your enthusiasm or um uh goldbergs, goldbergs. but isn't there a, a buddy once said to me that you know, it doesn't have to, if you're doing a job, and not saying you are with, with these two, but if you're doing a job because you need f- some level of financial security, right. and it allows you to certain- get paid well. Yeah, but that's, that's not necessary. It doesn't have to be ego unless well, there's a greed factor. if I may take a step back, I didn't become a me- comedian to become rich. Right. I knew that that was a possibility with certain levels of success. And neither did, ironically, the richest guy going, Larry David, he also became a comedian because it's what we do. It's what we have to do. It, it, it actually kind of, on some level, def- that's my door squeaking if you hear that. Um, on some level, it defines us, you know, because it's, 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 being a comedian for me is like my skin. It's not a job. Being on the Goldbergs is a job. Being on Curb is a job. Being comedic in those shows and having people appreciate it, that's part of me being a comedian. That's the joy I get. Getting a big check, delightful, but that's not why I went into it. Yeah, and and I think to your point, there's just many levels. I think it's, um, 
idealistic or unrealistic to believe that one job can satisfy all those things. Oh, but that's also, you know, the only thing that can satisfy all things for you is you for yourself. Mm. You have to find where you find self-love, where you find joy, because you can't look to it in your partner, either married partner, romantic partner, business partner. Uh, You can't look to it for your TV show that you're on. Um, I know people that I've worked with and work with who the job is everything to them or their significant other is everything to them. I'm not saying it shouldn't be from a love standpoint, but the only place to fill your soul is in your soul. Oh, well, yeah, that's the great, that's the Wizard of Oz. Yeah. You know, it's right outside your own front door. And so I just don't look to um, any specific project to fill everything for me. You know, now that I've started over the last four or five years, and it's been a big turning point for me making money from social media and doing all this internet and YouTube stuff, because forever as a work for hire actor, I was at the mercy of things outside of my control. Right. You were you were helping the storyteller tell his or her story. Yes. That's what you are as an actor. Totally. That my job as an actor is to tell Larry David's story, to tell Adam Goldberg's story, not to tell Jeff Garland's story or Jeff Garland's version of that story. And that's always when an actor comes off to me not well is when you can tell they're serving their own ego instead of the story it does happen but there's a lot of enlightened lovely people and there's also a lot of people that are kind of lost but like i said i don't begrudge them i just think that's where they're at and for me doing the the you know if i go do a internet spot for a internet commercial for bank of america Uh or wendy's i mean it's not the great passion of my life by any means but for me it gives me a certain level of financial security but yeah but that's a day that's a few days. Yeah, absolutely. A week at the most. But and then you're, you're done. Well, that's, you know, yeah. Yeah, but then you also, to a certain extent, have to continue to build your presence on whatever channel. To well, I think it's a matter of building your interested. presence in, in how you want to be... Perceived? Not perceived, but how you want to be... Um, I, I'll phrase it this way. You got to just do what you do. Right. Whatever that is. Do what you do and do what you're great at. Native. Native deodorant. Boom shakalaka. That's what I like. I like native. Why? Because they create safe, simple, effective products that people use in the bathroom every day. They create products with trusted ingredients and trusted performance. Are you not convinced? Are you not entertained? Well, check out the 7,000 five-star reviews that they've got, okay? Yeah, right. I mean, listen, you got a couple hundred five-star reviews, somebody in Native, they might know a couple people that did them a solid and wrote them a good review or six. But 7,000? That ain't a coincidence. Nobody knows that many people. But Native, dude, they know what they're doing. They sent me this beautiful deodorant with like a little citrus, sort of musky top notes. It was, it's, it's just enough. It's like, yeah, I don't smell anymore. And also, I don't smell like, you know, a friggin' perfume shop. I smell like a dude, but like a really good smelling dude. And listen, everything they have, 
It's formulated without aluminum, parabens, and talc. It's filled with ingredients found in nature, such as coconut oil. Heard of it? Shea butter. Heard of it? Tapioca starch. Mmm. It's made in the USA. America! With ingredients thoughtfully sourced from around the world. There's no animal testing. There's free shipping and returns. So come on. Get excited because for 20% off your first purchase, visit nativedeodorant.com and use promo code CURIOUS during checkout. That's 20% off your first purchase. Visit nativedeodorant.com and use promo code CURIOUS. Enjoy. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Well, I just feel so lucky to have these things that I can do, which buys well, me time. It's a great time. time for that, by the way. You know, people belittle the internet. It's not the internet that's screwy. The internet's got so many resources, so many great things. It's unfortunate that a lot of social media, you know, you read something happens and Twitter's going crazy. What does that really mean? Nothing. Like literally. Like less than nothing. Yeah, less than nothing. It doesn't really exist. Hmm. It's someone's feelings in a moment in time. Really, you're going to take that seriously? At least with Instagram, you have to put a picture up. <laughs> exactly. You know, there's it some modicum of skill. Um, so it's all temporary. So when people write bad things about you on, uh, on, um, on, uh, the internet, even a comment below a, a review of your movie and what they think, you, don't read it. It means nothing. It's meaningless. All that's meaningful is kind moments and doing good work. I really feel that when we can be kind to one another, delightful when you do work that you're proud of that contributes to society with whatever skill set you have delightful is there a part of you that being a comedian and and so much of what you do being self-realized and coming from your brain i'm in the process of self-realization i am in the process of growing my goal is to be a wise man to have joy and be a wise man that's my ultimate goal i won't reach it at any point in my life but I'll be closer every day in my life. I'm closer than I was yesterday. But I don't think I'll be a finished product. You do seem slightly on fire about this. I don't know. I've not analyzed it. Yeah. I just am what I am. Because you seem like you're, you've come to like some new understandings or some Well, it's been, there are always new understandings, but I've been this way for a number of years now. Do you think it's from going through sort of a life shift that you're going through no, now? No, no. I think that it's, it's, it's all about being open to growth, having your eyes open, being present. You will learn stuff. Adversity is your best friend. 
because adversity teaches you the lessons that allow you to go on and do great things. And when you're doing something like the Goldbergs, yeah. where you're not involved in the creative. To right. I learn my lines. I do it, but I do it with as much joy as I can. Is there a, you know, I, I'll hear a lot of times people that have written and directed something and then they go on perhaps to just, you know, be an actor in someone else's thing and they'll be like, I can't believe how much free time I have on set. Like, it's such a relief. Well, I don't have free time because I have long pages. The time I have is... The only free time I get is when they're turning around, you know, going from one, the cameras on one side to the other side. And I've already learned my lines. So I get 15, 20 minutes of just, I have actually on set, I have a, um, uh, I bought it on Amazon, a uh, zero gravity chair. It's actually the one I use for curbs in my backyard right now. What is that? Uh, it's just a, it, it lays out flat and you do it like you don't even need, it's, it's, just really being really comfortable and takes the weight off your back. And so I sit there and I might talk with the other actors more and I might look at my iPad or my iPhone, but more often than not, I close my eyes and I take a, a nap while they're turning the camera around. And is that for you? I guess my question would be, cause there have been moments where, and I've had to realize this just like when I was doing my show, grandfathered with Stamos a few years ago, like, I, too, come from that with Drake and Josh and just being, you know, a comedic actor. I, I feel like I always have an idea or I always have something that I'd like to add in, add in or be heard mm -hmm. about. But I, you also, there's a realization when you're not part of the creative process that there's only so much time for that. And sometimes... Well, it's, that's why when you think of something... It's got to be something that in your gut is pretty special. And you say, see, I don't know how it was for you on that. For me, Curb Your Enthusiasm is completely improvised. On the Goldbergs, I have to tell them that I'm going to improvise something. Really? Yeah, I have to tell my co-stars. I have to tell the producers. And I do. I'm allowed to, you know. Uh, but I generally don't do that unless I have something like, oh, I need to try that. That could really help this scene. But in general, the writing's excellent, and there's a story they're trying to tell, so I don't want, need to interfere with that. But I have my stand-up to Satisfy. do my own thing. Yeah. Um, and isn't that, uh, for me, in my experience, whenever I've had a difficulty with a certain line or something hasn't quite felt right or I felt the need to maybe say, well, what if we perhaps looked at it this way? It might make mm. it more comfortable or in right. my voice. I never want to inconvenience the writer or the director. And I want to say to them, like, listen, I would love to not have to not do this with you. Like my nothing makes me happier than it being perfect on the page. I say your lines and go home. Like right. I'm, I would almost always rather be home. But if it doesn't feel quite right, which is possible at but times. It's not, by the way, it's nice of you to help. But see, that's the problem that I run into. If I'm doing material while I have to improvise to make it good, I'm in a bad situation. That's and true. I don't want to be there. And so for me, 98% of both Curb and the Goldbergs. Well, Curb, I automatically improvise. But the Goldbergs, I'm happy with what it is. And it's all good and it makes sense. Sometimes it's too heightened, it's too this. And I'll talk about it. Can we do this? Can we do that with the on-set producer? But in general, improvisation to me means we're making it 
I'm, I'm doing something that could prove to be very beneficial and not I'm taking a shitty scene and helping make it better. Sure. Because that, I don't want that responsibility and I don't want to be on that show. That's nice. Yeah. That's a good, I mean, that's a yeah. good. Yeah. So. When you're, when you're doing Curb and you're improvising, are you ever at a place where you've now done the scene and it's not. You, you, everyone feels like it's not getting to the place. Well, it needs we, we, to every go. time we shoot a scene, a shoot a take, we discuss it right afterwards, and we make adjustments. Is there like so a, a bit of to terror a, to that? Like, no, it's. Um, are we going to find? By the it? way, if you had me flying an airplane, I'd have a bit of terror. <laughs> if you have me improvising, nah, man, there ain't no terror. That's like taking a nap. It's delightful. It's easy to me. And is there always the the feeling that we're going to find it maybe not this take but four takes down the road i'm not even thinking about that it's assumed we're going to find it gotcha there's not even a like oh don't worry we'll keep going no no i don't even think that way and by the way if larry david's writing the outline and we're improvising i can say that probably during the course of a season once or twice it's not quite what we want and then we'll reshoot it uh, sometimes Larry will call me on the way home and go, I could have written that scene better. Like, wow. in other words, if he had just written that scene and we read it, it would have been better. So, but that rarely happens. But it does, you know. Um, you know, even though we're good at what we do, we, you know, baseball players sometimes strike out. Of course. The best of them, yeah. And is every scene when you're doing something like Curb a... You know, I always hear, I talk to Wayne Brady about, mm -hmm. who's like a Jedi of improv. Right. and Different kind of improv. Sure. Right, you know, not, he's a Jedi, he's remarkable in terms of improv games. Okay. He, I, and by the way, I think he's a good actor, and I, I think he, he hasn't given, been given the respect or opportunity to show better work in terms of a nuanced uh, narrative performance, you know, in a TV show or something. He's always, you know, game show or games, you know. But he's great at that, and he's superiorly talented. But what was he saying? Well, he was saying how, you know, we're all sort of searching for those moments in an improv where you, you almost black out because you're so in the moment. Right. I'm always there. You're always there. I'm, I'm never in. If I'm in the other place, I'm not ready to do good work. I'm always blacked out and in the moment and not thinking. I'm only thinking about being present in the moment, nothing more. You know, my stand-up, although I'm writing material now because I'm going to be doing a special, um, there are many nights where I go up on stage having no idea what I'm about to say, and the entire hour set has been completely improvised. No. Yes. How? Don't know. Come I don't on. Know. But here's the thing. I don't ask. I don't know the answer. I don't ask. It's what I do. Um, and then other times it's 50% improvised, which is still a lot. Hey, I don't know. I could venture to make a guess. Don't, because I don't want to discuss it. Okay. I really want to, I'm very pure about all of it. I don't want to discuss it. Well, it's interesting because you hear about like someone like Barbara Streisand. Yeah. And that, and this might not be true, but that she doesn't warm up because she walks around ready. The way she carries her voice. It might be possible. You know, I don't know. I wish I would have learned about warming up because <laughs> I hurt my voice quite bad in uh, the movie Wally. -E. I blew up. I worked three hour years on that movie and I didn't know how to use my voice. And I would do a lot of yelling and stuff and I had no idea what I was doing. Since then, I've learned, but I didn't. Then. Did you do damage to your voice? Yeah. 
And did you go to the doctor for it? Yeah, or how you- yeah, yeah. I'm, I mean, I hear me talk, but it's it's completely changed my voice to where my voice now is so distinct because of it. Sure. You know, if I go places, a lot of times people don't recognize me. The minute I open my mouth, it's over. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. You know, yeah, it's, it's, it's always when I open my mouth. My voice is very, very, very distinct. I've got... And it was distinct before, Wally, but now it's really distinct. And when you do go to a bit of a scream, it becomes even, even well, better. Well, I can't really scream anymore. I mean, I know how to do it in, a, in the right way, but I try not to. It, it would have to be at the end of a week where I had a weekend to recover. Do you, did you have to go to like vocal coaching? I went to vocal coaching to learn how to sing, which helped my voice. That was the purpose of it. And I also learned that there is no, there's only one way to recover in a damaged voice. Uh, not talking. Right. The whole thing about warm liquids and honey and putting this down and that down and that'll help and this will help. It's all good and fine. I'm sure it's not negative for you. And I'm sure to a degree it's positive, but you're helping your voice maybe 5%. Whereas when you don't talk and you have vocal problems, it'll get better. Right. Yeah. I've blown out my voice. Oh, yeah. I, can, no, no, I mean, I can kind of hear it a little bit. Like, like recently, I'm saying I've blown out my voice from a week's worth of use on like the Goldbergs or whatever. And um, I have to stop talking and I have to cancel some stand-up shows because the Goldbergs and Curb are the priority. Not artistically, but unfortunately, I'm, I'm not under contract with myself as a stand-up. Fair. Yeah. What... Working with someone like Larry, and and forgive me if you've gotten this question too much, but right. could you, like, in your observation, could you distill down, like, one or two traits that you've observed that you're like, that's what makes you who you are? Are you talking about, about myself about, or about, about Larry? About Larry, about, like, well, what no, makes... Well, no, here's the thing. That's part of there's his greatness. A, well, here's what helps people be great, and I don't have this. An ability to not notice the outside world blinders blinders but but not blinders that you put up bob dylan has it larry david has it and by the way you can go into the blinders and they're like oh hey. like larry david would never intentionally hurt somebody but he might by not paying attention sure but when you point it out to him, he's like, oh, did I really, I didn't mean, you know what I mean? But they have an ability to where the world is about them. And I'm not even talking as a narcissist. I'm talking about just, they get into it. Because Singular Larry vision. David is a very supportive friend and a loving friend. He's a great friend. But Larry David can get lost. Like I see him standing somewhere and I go, he's lost in his own world right now. He's thinking of something funny. He's coming up with something. He's going to such a deep place. And um, I, can, I can be pensive, you know, and I can think about stuff, but I have an inability to do that when other people are around. Like I, I can sit here quietly and meditate in my place, um, but if there's other people around, I'm always trying to be present and aware with my children and stuff. And I think that certain artists uh, are able to, not only are they geniuses to be, begin with, such as Larry David and Bob Dylan, as I'm using as examples, but when you add the fact that they can close down the outside world to wherever they're at, amazing. Amazing. Yeah. It's funny. Uh, when and I- by the way, it's not great for having... 
families and interpersonal relationships. How could it be? There are times where it's damaging, but they're capable of doing that. I'm not. So my greatness or brilliance are in moments. I have occasional moments of brilliance, occasional moments of greatness, whereas someone like uh, Bob Dylan, Larry David, have greatness spewing out of them <laughs> really all the, all the time. <laughs> it's fair, but it's sort of like that unique combination of being self-involved, not necessarily a narcissist, but self-involved and a genius, you can create some stuff because, you know... Um, I'm sure there are people, I think maybe those of those behaviors go hand in hand, but I don't know. I mean, do you ever think about like, I don't know if I could handle that level of success. Well, but by the way, that's not even, I don't think that they even think about it. See, that's what that's helps. That's why. But I know that success, there's no, you know, when I see someone who's famous doing something stupid, you know, sometimes you know somebody's a tool, but in general, there's no guidebook, especially for young people. You becoming successful at your age. There's no, when you were younger, there's no guidebook. So you do the best you can. You make your way through it. And I aspired to, from a very early age, to be a wise man, to be enlightened. That was my goal. Yes, to be the best comedian I can be. But I know that my career has, I don't want to say suffered, but it's not been as great as it might have been if I wasn't more self-involved. If I'm more self-involved, certainly I'm going to focus on becoming more successful as opposed to, you know, I spent the day today sitting here with you, guesting on your show, and I spent the day talking with four different people today, helping them figure out things in their life. Look at you. And by the way, it feels good, but I also know I realize that I, I have to draw the line. I'm exhausted. Yeah. I put out so much filming. I put out so much doing stand-up. I'm a father. I put out so much that I realize that I got to kind of limit that now. And I'm discovering this at 56, mind you. And I've been famous, like really successful for about 20 years. And so, you know... I have to take care of myself, not only the way I'm eating and the way I'm exercising, but in allowing myself time to just be. But has it revealed itself that in, in helping others is where most of the great pure joy comes from? Then, By the way, unequivocally, of course. I receive, especially when I'm, when I'm helping people who are uh, not only grateful, but deserving of my help. When I say deserving where... Like, I'll meet with people. Can you meet with my friend's daughter? Da, 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 da. And then I sit and talk with them, and I go, this person's not going anywhere anytime fast. I'm not going to spend more time with them. Because what what not- sets that alarm off for you when, well, that you like, see in some like I, 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 I met with two young ladies recently. One of the young ladies I could clearly see was gifted in the world of comedy, had an attitude of uh, enthusiasm, joyfulness and was ready to take the journey as is the other one asked me about rules how do you do this how do you do that how do you do this and they weren't in the moment and they wanted shortcuts and i didn't see anything funny about them so there you go yeah yeah done so 
Um, and by the way, could I be wrong on both? Oh, yes. Maybe. Yeah. Could have been an off be. day for them. But it's... But you're probably well, not, not wrong. Nobody gets anywhere without somebody reaching out a hand, and I'm proud to be a person who reaches out that hand. I am. So I'm not saying I'm never going to help anybody, but I got to really be careful. Like, I used to read... Anyone who gave me a script, I used to read. Like, hey, you want a script? Oh, yeah. Now, unless you're someone I actually know... Uh, I won't read your script. And I'll tell you why. I'll say I've got my own scripts I'm working on, and these are good friends of mine that need me to. I can't have a pile of scripts to get through for a stranger. That's, I, I think that's one of the nicest things you can do for someone is give well, them I a tell quick, them the clear no. Clear no. I, tell, I, I do not lie. You know, to keep track of your lies, that's exhausting. Well, it's people-pleasing, so too. the truth. I am into people pleasing. I want to please everyone. I want everyone to like me. I, I but I realize that's not real, um, and so. But I tell the truth. This is how I'm feeling. This is what I need. But if I'm asked, you know, ask for something, ask my opinion. I don't start spewing my stuff without being asked for something or my opinion. Do you having sort of that? Um level of you know it's it's funny what you were saying before about larry like i i was talking to wayne brady because he took over for um aaron burr in hamilton oh he did yeah when, for leslie odom jr no he did it for like six months or a year where in, on broadway in new york yeah i never knew that how took fantastic. over for leslie i bet you he was great did you see him no but i'm sure he was in I i'm sure it was fantastic i'm obsessed with the show and i've never seen it oh well by the way i saw it and it's pretty Special. spectacular yes it's great it's better than you even hear it is. And much to what you were saying about Larry, he said about Lin-Manuel, which was a clarity of vision and just that uncompromising. Okay. To so when a I meet extent. with people, one of the things I ask them is, what do you want? Yeah. And when they don't know what they want, they're not going anywhere. The more specific you are in your want matched with your skill set, the more likely you'll be successful. So if you're a great comedian, that's your skill set. And the more razor you are on being a great comedian, boom. But if you're like, oh, I want to act, I want to be in movies, I want to do this, I want to do that. And I think I'm pretty good at this and that. And you might be pretty good, but pretty good's not good enough. The only way you can avoid not being great, you have to have two qualities. You have to be beautiful and charismatic then you don't need as much talent. You can be a pop star if you're beautiful and charismatic. The Rock. Well, The Rock, I think, <laughs> has more talent than that. He's That's a natural true. at it, but I, don't, I wouldn't look at him as a great actor. And the hardest he worker in the room, probably. Yeah, very much a hard worker. But it's, it's, you have to be beautiful and charismatic, and otherwise, you need to be great at what you do. Undeniable. And because if you're not, I mean... People don't last if they're not one of those three things, one of those three things, and then combine that with knowing someone and being lucky. There's a lot that goes into it. Um, I made it by not really knowing. I mean, I knew one person, and they didn't really help me with my career. They were very nice to me, but they helped me with my career. So I made it on my own. But I really feel strong about sticking out my hand and helping people. I felt good about all the people I meted today, but you can hear my voice is getting kind of rough. I know. And it's not nice to do that to myself, you know? Um, so once, I'm, once we're done today, I'm not talking. 
I got. I'm gonna send you a care package or something. Send I feel, me anything. <laughs> oh man, just, I appreciate just send me this. A, I, I just have to be quiet. Gotcha. Yeah, well, but I'm good right now. Are so you don't sure? Worry about, yeah. Okay. Um, you know, I, I'm interested to hear your thoughts because I similarly. You know, to a certain extent, when I talk about the social media of it all and my, my career sort of taking this new turn with the podcasting and what have you, for me, I, you know, people ask me that a lot. Like, so what's next? What do you want to do? And I said, I've, I've given that up, that whole what's next. Well, it's not I got what's going. next. It's what do you want to do? I wish. Not I, what's next. Right now, I you wish want I had to a good do answer. the show. Yeah, I do want to do this. Right now, you want to have a healthy child. Yes. Okay, you're 100%. good. 100%. You're good. What else do you need? That's it. Yeah, so you're good. Yeah, I'm overpaid. It may come a point where you go, you know what, I want to make a movie. You know what, I want to develop a TV show. You know what, I want to write a book. You know what, I want to start jogging. You know what, I want to... But what do you want to do, not what's next? What's next is so planny. Yeah. What do you want to do? Look at yourself right now. What do you want to do? And is that realistic? Meaning... Are, can you accomplish the goals that are being asked of you with what you want to do, the, the levels that you need to go through, the adversity? Because it all comes with adversity. So what in your career has been some of the most fulfilling moments? Well, certainly certain stand-up sets that I've done, uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm. I work with Pixar, especially on the movie WALL-E. Um, uh, the, the friendships, some of the friendships I've made. Um, and that's in terms of professional, yeah. personal, my children. And when, when you do, as you said, you go up and, and you're in, you know, improvising in an entire one hour set yes. of stand up. Yes. Are there moments where you're like, I'm lost? Yes. And what do you do? Dive into that. Acknowledge the moment. To myself and sometimes to the audience. Right. I'll look at the audience and they go, I have nothing left to say. Let's just wait a minute. I'll find something else, but just wait with me. Let's have a lull. That's what I tell the audience. I invite them for a lull. I'm sure they love that. Yeah, they I, they I, crack yes, up. They seem to. And then I say, let's just sit and be quiet. You've been laughing hard. Let's take a breath. Let's take a look around the room. And I start pointing out the room, talk about what I'm wearing. I ask the sound guy to play a song. And then, boom, I'm off to the races again. Because you'll find something. But I just give in to it. You know, there's a game called Switch, or people might know it as Freeze in improv. And I learned this from Dan Castellaneta uh, to a degree. I Voice watched of him Homer do Simpson, it. Simpson, great oh, actor. The Simpsons, yeah. He was at Second City, and I watched him almost every night. And when he would play this game, people like look, you yell Freeze, and then you go out, you tap someone out, and you do a new scene. And I'd watch most people play it, and they're watching intently on the people, and they're looking for a moment to yell Freeze. And I used to watch Dan Castellaneta not pay very much attention to what was going on, yell freeze, and just come in and do it. And I try not to show off by doing this, but I'll look at the back wall. Like I'll really, without the audience really knowing what I'm doing, and I'll just yell freeze having no idea what I'm about to turn into. And then boom, I just go with it. I say whatever comes to my mind. And I do whatever accent comes to my mind. It doesn't matter. Is it just having faith with you been doing well, it Well, I have this supreme long? confidence in what I do. Yes. Doing it as long as I have, I have built up confidence. It'll come. In what I, in what, in, in what I do. Yes, I'm supremely confident. And do I have an ego about it? No. Anyone can go up and tell me they're better than me, and I go enjoy. 
Right. You know, I have no ego about it, or I aspire not to have an ego about it. And I'm humbled that I've been given this gift. And, but no, it's, it's, it's confidence and nothing but confidence. I heard Pete Holmes tell this story about when he was a stand up early on. He was bombing terribly. Mm-hmm. And he got off stage. Bill Burr said to him, you know the one mistake you made that could have made this at least slightly better would have been if you acknowledged that you were fucking bombing. Completely right. Right? Because at a certain point, you have to let them know this isn't working, is it? And then at worst, they're on your side. And the more you can make fun of yourself in that situation, the more they dig it. Um, yeah, but that's called being in the moment. As a comedian, great comedians are in the moment. Bill Burr is always in the moment. Man, he's good. Yeah, he's great. Can you attribute any bad sets you've had to not being in the moment or something specific? No. No. I have had nights where I've gone up with a little too much ego, a little too much confidence in my, not confidence, but a sense that I'm great. And then I go up and and I come off and I go, boy, that set would have been better if you were a bit more humble, a bit more real. What did the ego do to you? It just made me not present. And my took my rhythms off. It just wasn't pleasant. Um, yeah. Um, well, I so appreciate the time you've given me. And so I'll wrap up with this. And this is the first time I'm going to do this. Okay. You ready? Get excited. Okay. I heard this done uh, recently on another podcast, and I thought it was really interesting. If you had to give your five or three, whatever you want, commandments or rules to life that for you – For me. For you. You know, I'm a big thing about, you know, I don't go up on stage and talk about our president, you know, in terms of complaining, this other thing, because I may not agree with him and may be upset by things that he does, but I don't blame anyone that voted for him. Same. Yeah, it's just, I don't like partisanship. Agreed. My whole big thing is go out and vote. I'm never going to tell you who to vote for. Just please, please vote. Small election, big election, doesn't matter. Vote, 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 vote. And that way, we're really being responsible as a, uh, as, as, as a state and as a city and as the United States put together as a country. So, I don't, so when you say my five commandments, these are for me. Gotcha. I would, would not dare tell anyone how to live their life one way or another. Um, so my commandments don't include uh, being kind, be loving. Those are, those are assumed. assumed, okay? So I think that being, well, confident yet humble. Because ego gets you nowhere. So for me to be confident, it's a win-win. And being humble is just fights against ego every time. Um, being present, being very present, you know, paying attention to my environment, to people around me, to myself, which brings me to the next one, being self-aware, being aware of how I'm behaving, how I'm which is tied into being present. How am I behaving? 
What am I doing? What are the reasons for what, what I'm doing? And this is not overthinking. It's just like when you're questioning things, those, that's the time where you go, why am I doing this? You know, when I walk down the block, I'm not thinking, oh, why am I walking down the block? Or this is good for me. I'm going, oh, look at the tree. Oh, feel that breeze. I'm enjoying myself. Hmm. So it's not overthinking. Um, yeah, I think that it's, these are commandments for me. And I think another one is <clears throat> what I do when I help people is help lift other people up, which my job as a comedian is to ease people's pain. And I look at my job as a human being is to lift people up. And then what's delightful, and it doesn't work out this way because that's my acting approach, make the other actor look good. What doesn't always work out is that they don't have the same mindset. You know, they don't have the same mindset. And, but I can't control that. I can only control what I do. So I don't know if those were commandment-y enough, no, but those beautiful. are things I believe strongly in. Yeah. Mic drop. A mic drop. That's what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never do a mic drop because that's no mic drop announces I'm a badass and I am not a badass. I mean, just a ginger mic put put down. Uh, I'll lay down. I respect the mic. You have Sennheiser and mics. They're very nice. They're lovely. I'll lay it down gently. Okay. Bye, everybody. It's been an honor to be here with Josh. I'm gently setting down my Sennheiser <laughs> microphone. Wait, last what? thing I, I wanted to say, which I was going to start with, but we are in each other's lives. Like, have you, like, for me... What do you mean? Talk to me. You have appeared in my life, like, over the last 15 years, like, every oh, yeah, couple well, years. Well, we're at events. I see yeah. you all the time, and we, the, we've always enjoyed talking to each other at events. The and, sushi place place uh, at the grove uh, the right yeah yeah very much so yes, yes. no well, look the i believe that my oh and i'll go i'll end with this my <laughs> belief in god is not specific i'm jewish but i don't necessarily believe in a jewish god i believe in something with a power bigger than me mm. there's something bigger than me whether it's 20 gods i don't know what it is uh, whether it's even a god i don't know what it is but I believe in something bigger than me. So the universe, I feel, connects us. And I think I see you because we need that connection. And it's a good connection. That's all. So to me, I think it's great. And you're also, we're in my life when my children were of age. They watched Drake and Josh religiously. Thank you. As ironic as I'm talking <laughs> about God. But yeah, Drake and Josh. And I was just talking with a friend of mine today, and her daughter goes, oh, I love Drake and Josh. So that was a big deal. And that was also the time, I think the last show of that era, when I say of that era, that really had a profound effect on kids was Wizards of Waverly Place. I don't know of one since then. And maybe I don't have children, but I don't really know of one that's that big of a hit. Right. Like, you know, uh, iCarly, Drake and Josh, Smush, SpongeBob SquarePants. It's because there uh, were only two yeah, kid yeah. networks then. Now yeah. there's so many there's sources. There's so many things. But remember, now when I was a kid, here's the old old man talking. Cartoons and shows like that were only Saturday morning. Ah, unbelievable, right? God, what but, a time! But I got to tell you, I woke up the crack of dawn Saturday morning with excitement to run down, especially the first day of the new cartoons and the new shows. Wow, you know. But I watched all these shows with my kids and I enjoyed them. So yes, we're in each other's lives. I love it. 
Thank right. you again. So now a gentle, <laughs> respectful mic lay down. Thank you, anyone who listened to this whole thing. Uh, very kind of you. And keep listening to Josh's show because he's very curious about things, and he's bound to bring you other interesting things. There you go. <laughs> That's it. That was Chef Garland. Thank you, dude, for doing it. Um... Yeah, guys. Love y'all. Have a great week. I have a sore throat and a two-month-old baby. So, I'm living the dream. Shit is going well for good old JP. No, it's wonderful. Because you want to know why? My child will still be my child whether I have a sore throat or not. And there's a good chance I'll survive this slight ailment, even though I feel like I'd like to curl into a small ball and uh, pass away right now. Just because I'm, I don't react well from being even slightly um, under the weather. But there that is. Anyway, guys, love you. Have a good week. Bye.